A good day to you. I'm Carl Falk. This is the Falcon Around Podcast. Back after a week hiatus. Hope you're having a good January living in our little snow globe here in western New York. It has been a interesting couple weeks of NFL football. The wild card weekend, meh. Nothing too exciting there. And then last weekend, the greatest weekend of NFL football we have ever seen. Obviously, I'm going to start with the Buffalo Bills and what happened in Kansas City on Sunday evening. And and I got to, there's so much to unpack here. I want to start with, if you're a Bills fan, take away this. And I know it hurts right now, and I know it's going to be a long offseason. Josh Allen's one of the five best football players, not just quarterbacks, five best football players in the NFL. You've got one of the five best players in the league at the most important position. He's 26 years, 25 years old. You're set. You need to continue to build around him and let him do great things and, and, and showing what he can do in big moments. And he did that against the Patriots at the wild card weekend. And he certainly did a Sunday night. You're going to be set for a long, long time if management can continue to keep this team together. There's a process to, to learning how to win. I think this team is very close to that. Unfortunately, the main ingredient for winning close games is lacking, and that's Sean McDermott. Let's go through it. The Bills lose 42-36 to 36 in overtime. The overtime rules are what they are. Everyone knew the rules going in. Do I think the rules need to be changed? For the playoffs, I do. Regular season's fine. If you lose a regular season game in overtime, it's not a a soul crusher. It is what it is. Deal with it. In overtime, in the playoffs, I think there needs to be something where each team gets a possession, and then after that, if the score is tied then you go to sudden death. I think that would make sense. You look at the way this game ended with the Chiefs scoring a touchdown. They likely kicked the extra point. Bills get it. Even if you want to say the second team is forced to go for two to try to end the game that way, I'm fine with it. That also gives the first team the option and maybe the thought we should go for two. So I think it brings brings some intrigue. Regular season, fine. Postseason, tweak it. It should be done differently. Not because it's the Bills. Two years ago or three years ago when Patrick Mahomes lost to Tom Brady in the same type of situation, it was the same outcry across the nation. Obviously not as much here in Western New York. I'm not blaming the overtime rules for this loss. I'm blaming Sean McDermott. Let's go through it at the end of the game. Josh Allen does some amazing things. The Bills' defense was Terrible on Sunday all afternoon, in my opinion, especially late. They didn't tackle well all afternoon, but the inability to to even make Mahomes take some clock down to get in the end zone actually played in the Bills' favor because it gave Allen the chance to come back with another touchdown. Also, the fact that Sean McDermott, for the first time in his life, actually saved his timeouts, came to help them. And I'm going to explain that. And it's interesting. We just showed a picture of Tyreek Hill flashing a peace sign running to the end zone. Interesting because that was a penalty all the time in the regular season. Why wasn't it on Sunday afternoon? But it, it didn't matter in the grand scheme of things. Let's go with what Sean McDermott did not do. Josh Allen again finds Gabriel Davis for a touchdown, 13 seconds. 13 seconds now has become part of Wide Right, Music City Miracle, Skate in the Crease, Keith Smart. The most devastating losses of a sports fan in this region's mindset have those monikers. 13 seconds now joins that list. And to me, second only to Wide Right. The winner of this game hosts the AFC Championship game, likely the favorite to go to the Super Bowl. 13 seconds is a big deal. The Bills score. Plenty of time for Sean McDermott to formulate a strategy of how to stop Patrick Mahomes from allowing the Chiefs to get into field goal 
position. I, I want to throw one other thing. When the Bills scored, I actually thought this. Do you go for two to force a touchdown? Now, it brings into the fact that if you don't make the two-point conversion, that you're likely to lose on a field goal. You're going to lose on a field goal. But I actually thought, make them beat you. The way your offense is playing, the way Josh Allen was playing at that point, the way the Chiefs' defense just got gashed again, you have every advantage in the world if you go for two. I didn't get down on McDermott for not doing it, and I understand him not doing it, but I really thought at that time that might have been something to consider. But that's another. I'm not going to get on McDermott for that. The kickoff. The one thing you can't do on that kickoff is exactly what the Bills did. Sean McDermott said after the game when asked about the kickoff that he didn't want to go there. It's on him. It's execution. When a coach says it's execution, you know what he's saying? My team screwed up. I called the right play. My team screwed up. That's exactly what execution is. Execution means the team didn't perform. So McDermott threw his team under the bus by saying it was the execution. I didn't like that at all. That is so not Sean McDermott. But he did that in that moment. Understandable that he's not at his best following that loss. But something to remember as we go through here. Tyler Bass has three choices. Kick it through the end zone, which he did. That's the wrong choice. Kick a squib squib kick where it's bouncing around. Now, the the problem with a squib kick is this. If the Chiefs field it cleanly and go down and give themselves up, a second goes off the clock. That's it. A second. When you look at it, you're probably going to have decent field position better than the 25 for only a second. Still a risk worth taking, in my opinion. You definitely need to figure that out, how you're going to approach it. The best option, in hindsight, and and it should be Sean McDermott, because he's paid millions of dollars to make this decision, should have been the first decision that came to his mind, was a high kick that forces the Chiefs to do one of two things. Either call a fair catch where it is. In other words, this is like a pooch kick. You see it a lot late in games. They kick it off high. It comes down around the 15-yard line. The Chiefs have two options when at that point. They catch it and fair catch it. No time off the clock. Take possession there. If that's the case, they take possession at the 15, not the 25. The more likely option is that the Chiefs are going to try to return it. Chiefs have great returners. Great returners. But time is coming off the clock. This is like a basketball game when you're up and you have fouls to give. You don't let them shoot. You foul before they can. So for the Bills, this is the best option. Didn't happen. Did not happen at all. They kick it deep. 13 seconds, 75 yards. But it's not 75 yards. It is more like 35 yards. You get to the 40-yard line, that's a 58-yard field goal. I'm not sure Harrison Buckner had that much leg, but certainly it gets an attempt. So, it is 35 yards to prevent a Bills victory in 13 seconds. Play one. Now, again, the Chiefs have three timeouts. That is a huge factor in this discussion. And knowing they have three timeouts, the one thing you don't care about is forcing them to stop the clock because they're going to stop the clock anyway. So you don't care about making them throw sideline patterns. The Bills come out in a defense that takes away the sidelines. Before the Chiefs snap it, Sean McDermott does what he always does. He calls a freaking defensive timeout. Which, in this case, I was actually okay with. Because you saw what they did. Here's the problem. You come back in the same defensive look. 13 seconds left. Why are you not up on Kelsey, Hill, Pringle, 
McCall Hardman. Why are you not up on those guys, jamming them, tackling them, fighting them at the line of scrimmage? If you get a five-yard holding call against you, it's first down five yards, but guess what? That 13 seconds is down to eight seconds now. The Bills were rushing four. Why are you rushing four? Patrick Mahomes has no time to play with. The ball is going to come out immediately because it has to. He doesn't have time to look and survey the field and hold the ball. Rush three, drop eight, but keep guys up front to jam the receivers and not let them run free off the line of scrimmage. And again, guys, hold them, tackle them, fight them, do whatever you have to do. Don't let them run free. Because again, it's a penalty. It's a first down. It's five yards. Who cares? That's play one. Unfortunately, play one goes 19 yards to Tyree Kill. And Tyree Kill gives, with eight seconds left, one more play for the Chiefs to possibly get into field goal range. But there's eight seconds left in this game. Chiefs line up. McDermott calls a timeout again. Again, I'm okay with it, but here's the rub. And here's why these defensive timeouts have come back to bite McDermott in the ass time and time again. It's been something that he's done, he believes in, and he sucks at it because every time, not every time, most times when he does it, the other team has the advantage. He fails to see that, and that's a problem. Travis Kelsey came back to the huddle after they lined up, saw the look that the Bills gave them, and told Mahomes, if they come out in the same look, I'm not running the pattern it's called, I'm running to the open spot. Fast forward, they line up. Mahomes, in his cadence, said, do it, do it, do it. To, to Kelsey, and he did. Again, the Bills, nobody jamming Kelsey, Pringle, Hill, Hardman. Nope, they're playing soft. They're playing, they're protecting the sidelines. What do you care if they're going out of bounds? That's actually doing you a favor. They're going to stop the clock with a timeout anyway. I actually heard people say, maybe McDermott forgot how many timeouts are. See that big freaking thing with numbers on it? It's called a scoreboard. Take three seconds, go... Hey, they got three timeouts. We don't need to defend the sidelines. They're going to stop the clock anyway. It was unbelievably horrific execution by a man who, other than his game management skills, is one of the best coaches in the NFL. His game management skills, as evidenced by 13 seconds, are some of the worst in the league. And here's what really got me. Early in the game, the Bills get the ball first. After Josh Allen lost the first coin toss of the season he had been 11 and 0 so far during the season of calling heads or tails and getting the right answer lost it deferred Kansas City deferred Bills get it first fourth and two near midfield on the opening drive McDermott correctly goes for it fourth and two at the goal line McDermott goes for it I was so excited watching that because I'm like, he gets it. He understands that you got to score touchdowns. you got to be able to do this offensively. That's how you win this game. And he had to be aggressive, and he was until he wasn't. Fourth quarter, you've got a fourth and one. at I think it was about the 35-yard line. He punts. I didn't like that at all. What does Mahomes do? Marches down the field for a touchdown. Even late, it was a fourth and one from the nine, fourth and two. I was thinking, you got to go for it there. He didn't. They did hold him to a field goal on that one, but still, McDermott was aggressive early, but he choked late. How do you know when somebody chokes? It's a debate in sports that's gone on forever. See a golfer miss a putt, basketball player miss a free throw. How does an NFL coach choke? Well, he does something that's different than what he has been doing all day long. Guy who made 10 free throws in a row. All of a sudden, clanks one off the side rim. 
because he choked. Guy who made every putty looked at all weekend long. He has a three-footer for the Masters and, and misses it, pulls it, pushes it, whatever. Sean McDermott changed what he was doing. That's how I know he choked. And what he really did is he really cost his team a chance at a Super Bowl title. And I firmly believe that. The Bills, had they won that game, go into this weekend with the best quarterback in the league. And Joe Burrow's an absolute stud. I love me some Joe Burrow. But guess what? Give me Josh Allen over anybody in the league. I never thought I'd say those words. But right now, if I'm drafting quarterbacks for next year, Josh Allen's the number one pick I take over Mahomes. Yes, I would take him over Mahomes because he brings a running element that Mahomes doesn't bring. And you look at Mahomes. If you took the skill set players from the Bills and the Chiefs, put them on the field, we're playing pickup. Mahomes and Josh Allen are picking guys. First pick, uh, Tyreek Hill. He's a scumbag. He is a piece of crap human being. That said, he's the best skill possession player, position player that we're talking about in these two teams. Second pick. Uh, I'll take Travis Kelsey, please. The best two skill position players are on the Chiefs. Not till Stefan Diggs, who was invisible Sunday afternoon, do you have a Bills player go. And then I think you end up going with more Chiefs. Mahomes has the benefit of Kelsey and Hill. While Allen has Diggs and Diggs is great, I'm sorry. Mahomes has a better team around him. He has a better coaching staff with Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy. As much as I love Brian Dable, those two guys have gotten it done for a long time. And you look at Andy Reid, what he did in Philadelphia, what he's done now. The guy is simply one of the best coaches in the history of the league. Nobody's ever going to call Sean McDermott one of the best coaches in the history of the league. Is he a very good coach? Absolutely he is. Show me the big game where his coaching made the difference. And the problem is there isn't one. The Bills lost five games this year by one possession. You know what happens in one possession games? Coaching matters. Sean McDermott isn't that guy yet. Is he ever going to become that guy? I don't know. I hope so. I God, I hope so. The city of Buffalo and the players on that team need him to be better. He hasn't yet done that. Look at what Josh Allen did in these two playoff games. 77% of his passes complete. He had 637 yards. Nine touchdowns. The NFL record for touchdowns in the postseason is 11. Josh only played two games. Then you look at his rushing statistics. He had 17 carries for 134 yards and a touchdown. His quarterback rating for the two playoff games was 149. I think 156.8 is or 158.6 is a perfect quarterback rating. He was at 149. In his playoff career, think about this. In his playoff career, Quarterback always gets the wins and loss statistic. I don't believe that's a quarterback statistic, but he's played six games. The Bills are 3-3 and in those six games. For his playoff career, 65% completion percentage, 14 touchdowns, one interception, 106.6 quarterback rating. He's also rushed for 371 yards and a touchdown. He gets better the bigger the game is. The problem has been the Jacksonville game. He wasn't big then. He's missed opportunities against lesser teams, letting teams hang around, not playing his best, like he did against Atlanta, like he did against the Jets. He needs to be more consistent and have that consistent greatness, and I think it will come because he is continuing to improve year in, year out. Here's the other thing about Josh Allen. When you watch him take those quarterback sweeps and and run or or keep a play alive like he did so many times and pick up a first down on fourth down by scrambling, making four players miss, 
How often do you see a running back make a run for eight, nine yards, really good run, and what do they do? They look to the sidelines and say, one play, give me a play. Josh Allen, he makes that play. He doesn't get that one play. Goes back out there, takes the next snap, and throws another seed. It's pretty remarkable what he's able to do physically, and, and, and not just the running, not just the throwing, but to stay in the game because he's got to be exhausted. The Bills, they got a bargain in the contract that they signed him for. I really think that, unfortunately for the Bills, their best chance at a Super Bowl was right now. Now, I think they'll be in the mix going forward, but they're going to lose. They've already lost their assistant GM, Joe Shane. He's the Giants GM. Brian Dayball is having his second interview with the New York Giants today. I would guess that he gets that job. It's down to him or Brian Flores, the former Dolphins coach. I'm sure that either one of them is an upgrade for the Giants over Joe Judge. Dable, if he goes, very good chance he takes the Bills quarterback coach, Ken Dorsey, with him. That means an entirely new staff for the Bills offensively. Bills need to continue to build this staff and get it back to where it is. Now, Leslie Frazier, does he stay? Does he go? I'm sure a lot of Bills fans won't be heartbroken if he goes. There's a lot of defensive coordinators available should Sean McDermott need to replace Leslie Frazier. Wink Martindale, the former Ravens defensive coordinator. Vic Fangio would be a phenomenal hire as as a defensive coordinator. He was the head coach in Denver. In, in my opinion, the best defensive coordinator on the market. Offensive coordinator-wise, this is interesting because I think it's a very attractive position that you have going there. As the offensive coordinator, Sean McDermott's generally let the offensive coordinator do whatever. He's hands-off offensively. He manages the defense, not well at times, not well at crunch times, but it makes it more attractive than you run your show as an offensive coordinator because, let's face it, every OC wants to be a head coach. So running your own show, calling the plays, being that guy, it allows you to have a little bit more clout. Guys like Eric Bieniemy. the question is, who's the real offensive coordinator, Andy Reid or Eric Bieniemy? Byron Leftwich in, in, in Tampa. Is it Leftwich or Bruce Arians? Who's the offensive guru there? In Buffalo, it is simply Brian Dable. The next guy to come in to replace Dable is going to be that guy. And that guy gets to work with Josh Allen. So that's an attractive position. I don't know where they'll go from here with that, but I do believe they have to replace the two biggest keys to their offensive staff going forward. I wouldn't be surprised if they reach out to Matt Nagy. And while everyone laughs about Matt Nagy because he wasn't a very good head coach, remember, this guy made the playoffs with Mitch Trubisky as his quarterback. This guy got a head coaching job because of his offensive mind. Some guys are very good offensive coordinators and not, or I shouldn't say offensive. Some guys are great coordinators. They're just not meant to be head coaches. I really believe that could be the case with a guy like Nagy. This also falls back on the Pagulas. Pagulas got to understand this, that they are very close. While their Sabres dumpster fire continues to burn flames that nobody wants to see, they're getting crowds of tens of people, not tens of thousands of people, to go to see their game. They might as well invest where they're making money. If they do that, they need to spend money on the coordinators. If they spend money on the coordinators, they should get somebody who is good enough to replace Brian Dable. Now, look, Josh Allen, there's going to be a comfort level with Dable and Dorsey. They've been through it together. They've been there essentially since he began. And because of that, they've grown together. So there's certainly a comfort level there. He'll be fine. Josh will. His skill set is something that somebody's going to come in and look at and take full advantage of. So I think there is a reason to be optimistic there. I got to throw this out there. 
too, before we move off of this game. Gabe Davis gave the Bills a glimpse into what I think is a very bright future. He has been solid all season long. The six touchdown passes he caught this season were somewhat eye-opening. I don't think anyone had Gabe Davis going for six TDs during the season. But throwing up a 200-yard, six-touchdown game in the playoffs. I'm sorry, four-touchdown game in the playoffs. The first player in NFL history to catch four touchdown passes in a playoff game. Yeah, you'd win money in about 10 years in a bar bet with that one. Gabe Davis has really stepped up this year and become a number 2 wide receiver. The Bills in the offseason, Stephon Diggs is your number 1. Gabe Davis is your number 2. Cole Beasley, do you bring him back? He seemed to slow down. He had a nice day Sunday, made some very good catches. Always seems to be open, but there's a question. Do you bring him back? Isaiah McKenzie is a free agent. He is somebody, I think, that can play the role of Cole Beasley and maybe do some other things like those jet sweeps should you need him to. So do you bring him back? He's a free agent likely to get paid. Ryan Bates is a free agent at left guard. Do you spend that money? Do you give up on Cody Ford? Yes. Yes, you do. There's a lot of things that they've got, a lot of moving parts that they've got this offseason to figure out to bring back that offense intact defensively. The Bills' best two pass rushers are Jerry Hughes and Mario Addison. Jerry Hughes had two quarterback hits on Sunday, two of the four. The other two were by Ed Oliver. We'll get to Ed Oliver in a second. But both Hughes and Addison made over $10 million this year. They're both free agents to come. Now, over the last couple of years, Brandon Bean has drafted A.J. Appenenza. He's drafted Gregory Rousseau and Boogie Basham to replace them. Now, those three players, Rousseau started and played quite a bit had some flashes early, was solid through much of the year, I have confidence in Greg Rousseau being a good starting defensive end. As for Basham and Epinenza, both have flashed at times, but neither has been consistent. So do you let both Hughes and Addison walk? Do you sign one of them to a one-year deal to kind of complete that end situation? It is very interesting to see how the Bills will approach that. Bills have spent a ton of assets, and I've talked about this an awful lot, at that defensive end and defensive tackle position. As the season went on, Harrison Phillips, when he got healthier, became the best D-tackle that Ed Oliver ever played next to. And that's a, a big part of it, because Ed Oliver is becoming a star. He's becoming the player that he was drafted to be. He had a sack, one of the two sacks of Mahomes on Sunday. He had two quarterback hits. He is a problem for offensive linemen because of his quickness, and I think he gets an advantage that he's a little bit undersized, and it makes him a little bit harder to deal with. Playing next to Harrison Phillips has been a great revolution. Harrison Phillips is a free agent as well. Do you bring him back? These are the questions Brandon Bean needs to address in the offseason. Levi Wallace is a free agent. That's a big question. Levi Wallace played very good football this year. I don't believe you can just let him walk. Tredavious White is a name I haven't mentioned through this podcast to this point. Trey White hopefully is back next year and back to the player he was. He was never missed more than he was Sunday afternoon. Dane Jackson did a fine job. Taron Johnson had a very good season. And I mentioned Levi Wallace. You add another defensive back, especially one to the caliber of Trey White, in that situation, especially late, when you can probably man up a little bit because you've got Trey White out there, I think it's a different result. It shouldn't change the fact that McDermott screwed up late, but I think the loss of Trey White was a big one on Sunday afternoon. So assuming he comes back with Taron Johnson signed, Dane Jackson still under the Bills' control, Levi Wallace coming back, signing a, a deal, I think you have a lot of depth at cornerback, and you certainly have the best safety tandem in the league. So definitely something to look at there. 
the final thing I want to talk about with this game is if you had told me going into the game that Stefan Diggs would have three catches for seven yards, albeit he, he caught a two-point conversion. That was a hell of a catch, by the way. Josh, under pressure, didn't make the best throw. Great catch by Diggs. And Dawson Knox had two catches for nine yards. And the Bills were going to put up 36. I would have laughed at you. Devin Singletary wasn't a big factor. 10 carries, 26 yards, had another 25 through the air. Where did the yards come from? And and that's the point about Josh Allen. Does anybody do more for their team than Josh Allen did for the Bills in this game? And this is the way the Bills are met to win. I think it's incumbent on Brandon Bean this offseason to take some of the load off of Josh Allen. Figure out a way, find some talent to let that happen. Here's my last part of this game going forward. And I'm not going to get into what the Bills need to do. I'll I'll save that for another week or two. I'll put together an off-season plan for McDermott and Bean to save them the trouble of doing it themselves. But Sean McDermott, when he does hire to replace people who are going to leave on his staff, and it happens. When you have success, the coaches get raided. It's the way of the NFL. When he does that, he needs to look in the mirror, find his shortcomings, and find somebody who brings an, a dissenting opinion here and there to the table and get him through those things. Obviously, Leslie Frazier had a situation that he could have spoke out and done something different. McDermott ultimately overrode him at the end of the game, but I really think that Leslie Frazier was in lockstep with McDermott at the end of the game. I don't want somebody who's in lockstep at key moments. I want somebody who's a yeah, but guy. I want somebody to disagree with me. Because at the biggest moments, my decision needs to be absolutely 100% correct. So give me something more to think about. Because if you had thought it through, you wouldn't have played the defense you did. So I think the hires that are coming are hugely important for many, many reasons to Sean McDermott. Great season by the Bills. Not a disappointing season. I thought they could go to the Super Bowl. They played a game that I thought could take them to the Super Bowl. A disappointing season is when you're expected to make the playoffs and possibly contend for the Super Bowl and don't make the playoffs. Bills didn't do that. They came to where they should have been. So I don't want to get into this was a disappointing season because they didn't go as far as last year. No, I thought this was another step forward. The Bills have cemented themselves as one of the best teams in the NFL. They have one of the best players in the NFL. It's been cemented with another season and and a playoff run like we've never seen in NFL history before by Josh Allen. There's a lot to go on going forward. Next year, depending on the tweaks made this offseason and the fact that the Dolphins likely will be better, they're good already. The Jets can't be any worse, theoretically. The Patriots and Mac Jones are going to be there and be tough for a while. The division's not as easy, but the Bills still should be one of the teams to beat in the AFC going forward. The rest of the divisional round looked a lot like this. And and, and this was the greatest weekend of football because not only was the Bills-Chiefs game an all-time classic, and that literally... If you're old like me, you remember the Dolphins-Chargers game way back when, when they literally had to carry Kellen Winslow Sr. off the field because of his exhaustion. This game reminded me of that game, and and that's how good this game was. But the first game, Bengals and Titans, Joe Burrow was Joe Burrow again in this game. He threw for 348 yards against the Titans' defense that had been rested and was waiting for him. The Titans come into this game, and they bring back the best running back in the league in King Henry. And yet, the Bengals' defense bottled him up to a degree. Ryan Tannehill 
can't be your starting quarterback if you're a serious contender for the Super Bowl. Three interceptions on the day. Three back-breaking, horrific interceptions. Maybe none worse than the play that Mike Hilton made down near the goal line. It looks like the Titans are going in. Hilton just makes a great interception rushing the edge. I don't know what Tannehill is thinking trying to throw it through the guy rushing, but just horrific. And Evan McPherson, I hate kickers. You know that. If you've listened to me, you know I hate kickers. But when you got a kicker who says to the quarterback with a 52-yarder to send him to the AFC Championship game, well, looks like we're going to the championship game. Cocky, arrogant, four field goals. Evan McPherson, and I loved in the postseason, or in the postgame interview, he mocked himself for celebrating a miss earlier in the year. I thought that was pretty good self-awareness. Evan McPherson nails it through. Fantastic. Look at the weapons that the Bengals have offensively. Jamar Chase had 109 yards receiving. T. Higgins caught 7 for 96. C.J. Uzma, 7 for 71. Tyler Boyd didn't even have a big game. Mixon didn't even have a big game. This team is very close to being a big problem. And, you know, I started to, to get into this a little bit when I was talking about Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. But the quarterbacks in the AFC that we have the joy of watching. And if you're a Bills fan, maybe it's not a joy because yes, Josh Allen is great. Patrick Mahomes, great. And those two right now, I think are on a path to becoming all time greats. Then you look at Lamar Jackson, what he's done already having an MVP. Joe Burrow, he's going to get a ton of votes for the MVP this year, his second year coming back after a torn ACL. It's just unbelievable, the great young quarterbacks. And I didn't even mention this guy, Justin Herbert, who may be the best of all of them when it's all said and done. Those five quarterbacks, only Mahomes is 26. The rest are 25. That means we got six or seven years of those quarterbacks going at it in the AFC. It's just amazing. And, uh, you know, frankly, I think it's somewhat unprecedented. You go back the 83 draft where you had Marino and Kelly and Kenny O'Brien and Tony Eason for New England. There was a lot of great quarterbacks at that time. But I think the pool is deeper than it's ever been in the AFC. And I think if you're head coach candidate and you have a choice between an AFC opening and an NFC opening, let me go to the NFC opening. Because they don't have the competition to try to win. It's just an amazing time for the NFL. The late game on Saturday was an old-school slugfest on the frozen tundra of Lambeau Field. Aaron Rodgers, who brought more attention to himself this offseason through his lack of interest, or perceived lack of interest, I should say it that way, his comments, his anti Vaxxer and immunization comments. He needed to win, in my opinion, because, look, this is a guy who didn't want to play another season in Green Bay, remember? And now he loses a home game to Jimmy Garoppolo and the 49ers. Look, let's give credit where credit's due. Jimmy Garoppolo and the 49ers went into San Francisco and or went into Green Bay and beat the Packers on their own field. Yes, it was special teams. The block punt for a touchdown, the block field goal earlier. But defensively, that defensive line. Think about this. Over the last few years, the Niners have spent first-round picks on Nick Bosa, who's an absolute stud. Eric Armstead is a beast inside. Rookie Javon Kinlaw this year. Looks like he's going to join that group. They also had DeForest Buckner, who is beast for the Colts, who they traded to get an extra first-round pick. And Solomon Thomas didn't work out. But those first-round picks on that defensive line have changed this 49ers team, and especially defensively, and given them an opportunity because – Everyone looks at the 49ers and Kyle Shanahan, you know, he's offensive genius, the running game of the 49ers. They brought in 
Trent Williams from the Redskins. Kyle Shanahan did something I've never seen before on Saturday. He lined up Trent Williams, the best left tackle in football, as an eligible offensive lineman and an extra offensive lineman, then put him in motion and ran a a play behind him. And if you've seen the play I'm talking about, Trent Williams blocked like 17 guys because he was in, it was devastating. And I'm sure you'll see this again. I'm not a Shanahan fan, but man, that was a great concept. And I guarantee you'll see more of it. But the 49ers, what they've done is brought in key pieces and continued to go around supplementing their great drafting. John Lynch, the, the general manager in San Fran has done a great job. Shanahan with a healthy quarterback has been fantastic. So there's a lot going on in San Francisco. And I personally think they will give all the Rams can handle. Rams played the Bucks the last game of the wild card weekend. And this one looked like it felt like a eulogy. I talked about it with Ben Roethlisberger earlier this year that Sometimes you get the feeling of, yeah, that's it. It felt like eulogy. Aaron Rodgers leaving the field at Lambeau didn't feel like that to me. It felt like he was going elsewhere. And I I expect him to play next year, just not in Green Bay. I, I think he's crazy for wanting out of Green Bay, but I just get the feeling that that's where that is headed. Tom Brady, this felt like early on, a eulogy. He gets his lip bloodied. He's he gets his first ever uh unsportsmanlike conduct call. Things were not going well. They're down twenty to three. Looks like it's gonna be twenty seven to three. Cam Akers fumbles. <coughs> Excuse me. Cam Akers fumbles. And you'll think maybe there's a chance. Then it's twenty seven to three. The Bucks get a touchdown. You see a fumble by Cooper Cup, and you start thinking, hey, wait a minute, Brady's on the other side. Brady's offensive line, Trista Wurst banged up, not what he should have been, didn't play much in the second half, just wasn't able to go. Because of that, all of a sudden, you see Brady becoming Brady. And you don't have the depth of wide receiver. Antonio Brown's still holding signs in the end zone, leaving MetLife Stadium. You've got Chris Godwin out for the year, so you don't have the depth at wide out. But Brady finding a way, forcing a tie, and then Cooper Cup and Matthew Stafford, and I think it needs to be said, Matthew Stafford making two giant throws, Cooper Cup doing what he's done all year, finding a way to get open. First play where he catches it on the out, get the drive started. Next play runs the seam, I don't know why you're zero blitzing at that point, but hey, what do I know? And Cooper Cup puts him in position for the game-winning field goal and send Brady home and the defending champions with him. And I, I just, to me, hearing Brady over the last couple of days and, and you hear him say, a lot of it depends on my family. I'm going to evaluate. I never remember him doing anything similar to that before. I always remember him being affirmative and I'll be back next year. Yeah. It feels like Brady's going to step away. And and man, if he does, he does so going out playing his ass off. And if you're not a Tom Brady fan, I understand it. But at the same time, the greatness that he's brought to the table is never going to be seen anything like that again going forward. It's just amazing. So, Brady, it looks like he's going to be done, in my opinion. The Bucks, they won't be nearly the same team without him. I don't know where they go for a quarterback, but let me throw this at you. Aaron Rodgers to, Green, to Tampa, it won't happen because Rodgers will play in the AFC next year because the Packers would never trade him within the NFC. But team that's ready to win... Team that's got all the pieces in place would be pretty interesting if that were the case. This is the time of year where you, 
and the NFL needs to change this. Let me let me back up for a second. You're seeing coaches and GMs get interviews. On Saturday, you had interviews from Leslie Frazier and, and Brian Dable with the Giants the day before they're heading to Kansas City to play a playoff game. There needs to be a moratorium on hiring coaches or interviewing coaches until after the playoffs. I, I can't help but think it's a distraction. If you're in a position, your biggest day at your job is tomorrow, and another company interviews you for a great opportunity today, how is that not a distraction? Yet it's happening over and over and over again. It can happen. It shouldn't happen. Joe Shane gets hired and taken away from the Bills. Not that it matters for an assistant GM, but it's a distraction in the building. The NFL's got to do something about this. Got to. And, frankly, it's unfair to the coaches who are still coaching because they're not hireable now. You can't hire a guy who is coaching still in the playoffs. So it's a disadvantage to them. All of this coaching stuff needs to be stopped until after the playoffs. It needs to happen. Way more important to me than changing the overtime rule is changing the coach's hiring rule. We've seen Joe Shane get hired by the Giants. I expect Dable to be the head coach there maybe as early as today. Changes are coming. A lot of teams looking for the next guy. There's going to be a lot of hires over the next week. We'll get to that next week as well because there's a lot going on in the coaching carousel. Well, I quickly hit on SU. Syracuse University basketball has never been in a situation that it's in now. Here they are with 19 games into the season, and they are below 500. You always looked at a Jim Beheim coach team and thought, well, you know, are they going to get in? Are they going to be on a bubble? And as I watched them get their ass kicked by Duke, they got blown out by Duke. They lost by 20. They could have lost by 50. Coach K was being nice. Watching a team not be able to compete and and just not be, they looked like the mid-majors who they feasted on in cupcake season forever. That's what it looked like going against Duke. Jim Beheim's won 1,000 games. He's about to win his 1,000th game for the second time. He's got to go. I know Jim Beheim's earned the right to be the guy to decide when he goes, but he's no longer an elite coach. He no longer has an elite program. He has a program that's the definition of mediocrity. He's become Clemson in college basketball. He's become a team like Wake Forest, a team that used to be good when Danny Manning I'm sorry, when Tim Duncan played there and then wasn't because they didn't recruit. That's Syracuse. They don't recruit. They don't have talent. Buddy Beheim against Duke, 2 of 15. Joe Girard against Duke, 3 of 13. Your guards, your best players combined for 5 for 28. Buddy Beheim missed four wide-open threes. Buddy's going through a slump. But his slump is a lot has a lot to do with the fact that he is the guy, night in, night out, that defenses know they have to lock up. And the level of frustration because of his lack of athleticism to beat guys off the dribble and do things in other ways has had him forcing shots, taking shots quicker than he wants to. It's messed him up. It's unfortunate that it's happened. But it has, and he's not a very good basketball player if he's not scoring. He doesn't do many other things to help you. Joe Girard, the best thing I could say about Joe on Saturday, he was overly aggressive. And that's a bad thing. Joe Girard was the one player I saw who didn't give a rat's ass who they were playing or where they were playing that game. He was back in Glens Falls in his mind trying to put up 50. Were there some bad shots? Hell yeah, there were. But at least he was aggressively looking for his shot. Why it took Jim Beheim 10 minutes to put Seymour Torrance into the game 
when this was obviously a game they needed him to be the primary ball handler, to have Buddy and Joe be able to run off screens. Oh, by the way, screen in basketball, Syracuse. Because Jim Beheim hasn't taught you, I figured I would let you know. It's when you stand in front of a defender and, and let the guy run past so he gets open. Because I've not seen a screen all year. Somebody set a freaking pick. You got shooters. It's just amazing that it took 10 minutes to put Samir Torrance into the game. And when he got in, guess what? Six assists, no turnovers. Oh, and then he hurt his knee, and he's not going to play tonight at Pitt. This is a team that we never thought we'd see with Jim Beheim coaching. He 25% of his playable guys uh, didn't leave his house to recruit Jimmy and Buddy. Jimmy's a good seventh, eighth guy on any any Division I college basketball team. Buddy is a starter on most. He's not a star. They're not guys that shouldn't come off the floor. Yet they don't because the coach, the dad, sees things a little differently than what they actually are. Frank Anselm went in the game the other day. He's a backup center to Jesse Edwards. Jesse Edwards, who can't stay out of foul trouble, and it's unfortunate because there's a lot to like about Jesse Edwards. Frank Anselm went in. First play, Gerard hit him with a real nice pass. Instead of going right up, he hesitated, and he traveled. At that moment, Jim Beheim sent somebody to the table to go get him. How do you possibly get better if you don't have a chance to play through one mistake. By the way, Anselm then went down, blocked a shot, got a rebound, and and made a good offensive move and got a dunk. He was then taken out of the game because that was the next whistle. But I, I just will never understand how you're yanking guys you're trying to develop at the first mistake that they make. Benny Williams, he can't make a mistake. He goes back to the bench. Frank Anselm, can't make a mistake. He goes back to the bench. Cole Swider, Joe Girard, can't make a mistake. Yet, Jimmy and Buddy can make mistakes all day long and not get pulled. Jim Beheim's coaching through myopic lenses with his sons. They're good players. They should be treated like everyone else. They're not. If you watch the game, game in, game out, you see it, so do I. It's unfortunate. This is a Hall of Famer whose legacy is impeachable, but he's doing everything he can to give you an opportunity to impeach him. That's all I got to say about Syracuse. Go Orange. Hopefully they'll get back to 500 tonight. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening. Hope you had a great week. Talk to you next Tuesday. I'm Carl Falk. This is the Falcon Around Podcast.